How are we doing today? It's, it's a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord, to be with each other. My name is Tim, and if you're here for the very first time, it is our prayer that it is not your last time. And we are privileged to have you here. We pray you come on back, join in the church, get to know us, grow in Christ, develop your gifts, see God take you to higher heights in Jesus' name. And everybody who comes regularly said... Everybody watching online, hello to you as well. All to, all to the right of me is the notes and the Bible and all those tabs. If you're on watershirts.tv, you can click there now and say hello in the chat. Let us know you stopped by. Well, it is fasting and prayer season. How many of you are excited for this? I'm not. I'm not. Oh. Okay, take out your bulletins. Here they are. I love to eat. I do. But you know what? Sometimes we got to do what we know is right and not what we feel. Amen. Amen. And I really do believe that this is going to be a, a powerful time and a powerful three-day experience for our church. I'm encouraging you, if you're on the fence about it, join in. Join into this. Here's what the plan is. No, no eating after lunch today, no eating food after lunch today until lunch Wednesday. So your last meal to skip food-wise uh, is breakfast Wednesday. And if this is your first fast, my advice is do not do a total food fast. So if it's your first one, you might, I would suggest yogurt in the morning and only fruits or vegetables in the dinner's time. I, I wouldn't put your body under that much of a distress physically for your first time. If you've done this before, um, I would encourage you to go as far as you can with uh, what you choose to say no to. Uh, I would like as many people who have done this before to go total, uh, f um, uh, what is, what's that, drink, liquid, and solid, 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 okay, solid food fast, okay, and now what we've got is a schedule for you, and I'm really excited about this because we're going to read through the book of Ephesians together as a church. This is also a great moment for you to bond with us, bond with the church and be a part of it. So it's Sunday night, we're going to start today, uh, Ephesians 1 and 2. And then there's prayer directives. Then Monday for breakfast, we got the prayer directives, but it's Ephesians 3 to 4. And then Tuesday, Ephesians 5 and the prayer directives for the three meals. And then Ephesians 6 for Wednesday morning. And uh, during prayer on Wednesday, pray for those things that we list here on the schedule for you. Pray for these things. And you say, I'm not a good prayer. Uh, that doesn't matter. You don't need to be a good prayer. You just need to be a sincere prayer, okay? Just say it. Just say, God, I don't know exactly how to ask for this, but I ask for this. And just go for it. And uh, read your scriptures. Uh, I want to make sure you notice that fasting is not a diet. Ladies. Okay, so the goal here is not to get down to like a size six. Hallelujah. The goal here is to get in touch with the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Can somebody say amen? And uh, join with us on first Wednesday at the close of our fast. When you eat lunch on Wednesday, also don't make this mistake. Don't gorge. You will hurt yourself and you will vomit. We know this because two members of our staff last year gorged on Chick-fil-A for lunch. And Chick-fil-A had a resurrection. How many know what I'm talking about right there? Okay. That's what happens when you eat Christian chicken. Okay. Um, so... Eat a light lunch as best as you can. Maybe have a, another light dinner before first Wednesday evening if you can. And then come on out for prayer. And let's experience the Holy Spirit together. Let's believe God for the most powerful, most effective calendar year in our history. Amen. So that's what that's all about. Take out your bulletins one more time. And in the bulletins is the note page. 
Looks like this. First things first is the title of our series. We are looking at loving God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, strength, all those words. Heart, part one. Soul, part two. Today, part three, mind. Next week, strength, body. Getting our year off to the right start and putting God first in all of these areas of our lives. So I was preparing this message and I got it done and then I always title the message after it's done. And I looked at the previous titles and I realized they all rhymed. I don't know if you picked up on this theme for the series. It just doesn't usually happen, but they've rhymed so far. So part one was about the heart. A healthy start begins with a heart for God. Part two rhymed. A healthy soul will keep you whole. So I thought I gotta keep up tradition. So I came up with this one. God changes the way you think so your life doesn't stink. <laughs> if you're excited about that, wait till you hear next week's. A hot bod begins with God, hallelujah. <laughs> you over here were too excited for that message title. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about the mind. We're gonna talk about how we think. You know, scriptures are constantly talking about our, our mind and, and, and the thoughts of our hearts. We're called in the scriptures to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Don't just think. Think about how you think. The Bible says, have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you which is think the way Jesus thought. Um, we're, we're, we're told in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And in many ways, your thoughts are gonna dictate your actions and how you think can either help you or hurt you. And today we're gonna look at how to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Now, what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus actually introduces the mind to the loving God formula. See, the Old Testament, the greatest commandment in the Old Testament, which Jesus quotes in the New Testament, is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. When Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, but he changes it slightly. And the reason why he changes it is because he's God the Son and he's got the right to. And he says, here's the new one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He added mind. And with all your strength. Jesus cares about how you think. And I believe that um, Jesus is the key. Think about this for a second. He is the key that opens the door to a mind that is set right with God. Fact of the matter is, and I want you to write this down in your notes, fact is, we are never as smart as we think. Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not as smart as you think. Wives, be nice. Spouses, be nice. We need third-party information, don't we? This is why we send our kids to school. This is why we send them off to get an education. We want you to learn. You need to be, you're not as smart as you think. I find I, I always have to tell my children that I've been on this planet a lot longer than you. I know some stuff. Go to school. My wife and I call the school bus the golden chariot. Take them, hallelujah. <laughs> Bring them back when you're done. 
Then we go to college, we get more information, we get more knowledge, we grow in knowledge. We, want knowledge. we know we need third party information because information can be powerful and can change how we live. I'm all for education, higher education and, and master's degrees and, and bachelor's degrees and, and even associate's degrees or whatever else you get or doctorates, go for it, absolutely. Let God bless and feed your mind. But I want you to know something. All the knowledge in the world without the fear of God is useless. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1 7. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can know a lot and be dumb as bricks. Now, there was a man in the 300 BCs named Aristotle. And he posited a theory about the human brain. Basically saying that the stuff between your ears is more than the stuff between your ears. He said there's three categories of your brain, vegetative state, uh, sensory state, and then intellect. The first two can be physically uh, manipulated, completely physical. So your vegetative uh, mind capacities are breathing, digestion, um, all those things that you, right now, you're not thinking, nobody's thinking, breathe in, breathe out, <laughs> okay? But that's your vegetative processes in your brain. The second one is sensory, which gives you the ability to touch, see, hear, and you really don't think about those either. That just happens, okay? But the third one is intellect, will. And Aristotle in the 300 BC said that there is more to our brains than we realize. It's more than material. He, this was a Greek philosopher. Fast forward 1,500 years to the 1200s AD. And a man named Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, a Christian thinker, said the exact same thing. He said what Aristotle started, he was onto something. We are more than the stuff between our ears. Fast forward further to, 2000, uh, the, to, to the 21st century neurosurgeons and neuroscientists, and they are discovering physically and scientifically that what St. Thomas Aquinas said in the 1200s and Aristotle said in 300 BC was spot on. I think that when you can get a Greek philosopher from 300 BC and a Christian thinker from 1200 AD and a neurosurgeon from this century to all say the same thing, they're right. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that your mind is more than the material between your ears and you need more than education and you need more than instruction and you need more than degrees and you need more than um, uh, accomplishing the, the, the skill set of knowing what to do. You need to have wisdom to process what you do. Some of you know people who are filled with degrees and letters and initials behind their name and they can't live right and so we need something more than information we need god to touch our our minds and give us wisdom can i get a good amen, amen. i need third-party information for myself my wife and i we give each other third-party information all the time the thing about husbands and wives is we don't we don't really like third-party information from them anybody with me on this like oh because we're familiar with them familiarity can breed content and we start to think oh you don't know what you're talking about and i have learned the hard way to start listening to my wife. Well, she's learned the hard way to start listening to me too, so let's not get crazy, ladies. But I, I, I've done so many times, I've ignored her, and I said, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, and I've done something, and I just mess it up. One time we were moving, and I, I, I never forget, this is the thing about guys. We are task-oriented people. We wanna get the job done. 
as quickly and as inexpensively as possible. Women like to think about how's the job getting done? They like to have, because they got the spaghetti brains. Everything's connected to everything else. And so they think about every possible contingency concerning the task that has to be done. The guys are just like, let's just do it. So we were trying to move one time, and I put uh, a bunch of stuff, and I was in a hurry to move. I put a bunch of stuff on the back of a truck, and I put a bureau, an antique bureau that her father gave us. Had antique knobs, very precious, very valuable, on the back of the truck. But I left the drawers facing the side of the truck. My wife yells out the door from the house we're leaving as I'm pulling away. See, she waited too long to give me this advice. But as I'm leaving, she says, Tim, you might want to turn the drawers or tie them down. You don't want to leave like that. they probably fly out. And I kid you not, this was my response to her out the window of the truck. <laughs> Drove off. She ain't going to tell me. I know what to do. <laughs> Made it about three miles. And we took a banked turn. And like a Nerf gun, shoo, shoo, shoo. All three drawers just shot. If there had been a pedestrian, I would have been charged with vehicular homicide. Death by drawers. Everything splattered over the whole road. Chips of wood. I, I get out of the truck and I only have one thought. Cheryl can never know about this. <laughs> Try to gather up all the chips of wood, the knobs and everything. It had six knobs. Again, an antique, six knobs. I found five. And we were spending like an hour there. Finally, I said, enough is enough. We're going to get the job done. Let's just go. And well, I'll come back tomorrow, and I'll find this knob. So we go. We unload everything. I move in, and we sleep at the new house. And then I decide I'm going to go back to the road. I kid you not. I go back to the road. And wouldn't you know that that morning had been scheduled for demolition on a brand new housing development, and they had plowed the entire side of the road for the entrance into that housing development. And so that knob is lost into the annals of my idiocy. Okay? We need third-party information to that critical part of our brains that is not material. And it's actually one of the greatest proofs of the existence of God. We are not just matter. There's something deeper to us that needs to be touched by the one who made us. Again, you can be filled with information and dumb as bricks. I want to read to you a story. Actually, this is kind of a compelling story. I found this out this week, and I believe it's for you. I want to tell you about a guy in the 1800s, and then at the end of this story, I'm going to tell you his name. But I want you to listen to his story. He was the son of a doctor and a financier. His grandparents were abolitionists. He was sent to school by his father to study to be a Christian minister. Eventually, though, along the way in his studies, he slowly became an agnostic and eventually lost the faith altogether and came to deny the scriptures as the word of God. But he was an avid adventurer and he loved to dis discover things and learn new things and with these desires came corrupt enjoyments. He had a penchant for killing things. He would often kill birds by pounding on their heads with things, uh, uh, pounding on their heads, I'm sorry, with a hammer simply for enjoyment. On a scientific expedition, he brought guns with him in hopes of killing a native cannibal. From his own writings to friends, he described himself as twisted, an individual with sadist tendencies that took pleasure in killing. He believed strongly in eugenics. Eugenics is the idea that we should breed humans specifically so that we can produce a higher race. This is where Hitler gets his ideas. 
Having rejected God outright, the consequences of his philosophy began to take a toll on him physically. He suffered from depression, agoraphobia, that's the fear of people or crowds. He suffered from vision alterations, hallucinations, malaise, vertigo, shaking, heart issues, fainting spells, shortness of breath, trembling, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, muscle twitches, spasms, tremors, cramps and colics, bloating, headaches, nervous exhaustion, skin blisters, tinnitus, and sensations of impending death. He became incapacitated at the age of 28. He was an invalid and recluse who remained ill almost continually, and he lived this way for the last 43 years of his life. And his name was Charles Darwin. And today, universities and educational systems herald him a hero of secular humanism. And we wonder today why when we tell our children they're descendant from monkeys and God doesn't exist and what they feel must be true and then they feel depressed and suicidal and they take their lives, they follow the exact script we handed them. We need to turn this sucker around and get people rooted in the truth of Jesus. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Anybody remember that commercial from the 1980s? It was about substance abuse, right? Don't put your mind on heroin. This is your brain, crack the egg, put it on the fryer. This is your brain on drugs. I wanna see that picture again. I want you to see this is your brain on humanism. This is your brain on denying there's a loving God in heaven who has a plan and purpose for you. This is your brain on listening to your feelings. This is your brain on trusting your gut and your instinct because your instinct sinks. This is your brain on listening to popular opinion and trusting what other people tell you rather than what God tells you. Don't let your brain go to waste. Root yourself in the truth that is in Jesus and see him elevate your life to a higher plane. Can I, can I get this heavy for you this early on in the message? Because this will save you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you this will save you. You need to love God with your mind. So let's get to the scripture, shall we? Ephesians chapter 4. To lighten the mood a little bit, I'm going to bring out Kelvin, our keyboardist today. Hello, Kelvin. Praise God. Kelvin's going to give us some gospel music behind the word today. Stand with me as we read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to church today. I don't know if you're ready. I'm going to bring you to old school church. Oh, there it is. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy for practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you've heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ Jesus, to put off your old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, come on, somebody say, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him rather labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God is in charge of turning round lives. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Can I get a witness, somebody, in this house of God? Woo, that feels like church. Come on, someone. Amen. Let's pray together. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you that you will speak to that deeper part of our minds, the part that no man can truly touch. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. And as we pray every week, Father, I pray that we will see Jesus in his precious and holy name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Thank you, Kelvin. Give him a hand, somebody. Amen. That was good. I got three points with you about your mind, and then we're done. Number one, my mind is made for God. My mind is made for God. This is so essential to who we are. We have got to get this in our spirits. Now, Paul is going to explain this to us, but he's going to do it from a negative to a positive. Because he starts off with some really heavy, dark language here. And you heard it, and I just, I warn you ahead of time, this is not pretty. He describes the mind that is separated from God, that has not submitted to Jesus. And, and he, look at it there, it's in your notes. He says, I say and testify to the Lord, you must no longer, verse 17, walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is interesting here, because what he's basically saying to the church that belongs to Jesus is, you're, you're no longer a Gentile, you are a member of the house of Israel, God's chosen people. I like that. So don't live like people who aren't chosen. Don't live like people who, who God doesn't have their eyes on. You got the Father looking at you. Live accordingly. And then he describes it. He says, in the futility of their minds. The word futility means worthless. That their minds can be filled with knowledge, but it's worthless because they don't know how to do it. They got no wisdom because they don't have the fear of God. Then he says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Darkened, there's no light. How, how many ever met somebody? The darkened in your mind, you say, don't you see it? And they're just like, oh. about the things of God, about life, about what's true and what's right. And you can tell them and tell them and tell them and they still don't do what will help them. Their minds are darkened. He says, because they're alienated, verse 18, from the life of God, they don't have connection to God. And there's ignorance that is in them. All these things are mental capacities, mental issues, and it's all due to the hardness of their heart. They won't let God in 
And so he shuts them down. Ouch. The next verse, he says, they have become callous. Somebody say callous. Anybody got calluses? You know what these are. These are hardened parts of your body. Calluses develop on your hands or on your feet or places where you've, you've really worked them, but you've done so much work to them that they've lost sensitivity. He says this is what's happened to the mind separated from God. People lose the ability to feel rightly. And then he says, I, look at this passage. Please don't miss it. They have given themselves. Can you just underline that in your notes? Nobody makes them do it. They just willingly give themselves over to what? Sensuality. That's a sexual term there. And then they become greedy. That means I want more. What? More to practice every kind of impurity. I don't want you to miss this. The scriptures draw a clear line that the further you move away from the fear of God, you become senseless in your feelings. Be careful about this. Write this down in your notes so you make sure you leave with this in, in, your, in your mind. Apart from God, reason moves from facts to feelings. Well, I just want to do what I feels right. And it might destroy you. Scripture says there is a way that seems right or feels right to a man. But the end thereof is death. And the funny thing about these people, the funny thing about people who just jump into these things that bring death, it's almost as if they don't mind. And I'm watching a culture in America and in the West, and I'm telling you I'm scared for them. I fear for them because they are losing their minds. And, and God doesn't want this for you, and I say this in love, but we are counter, we are rejecting God in the very fiber of who we are. The fruit is, is visible now to the corruption that was internal for decades before. I said this last week, it bears repeating again in second service this week. I didn't say it in all three services, so I want to say it again. This is, all comes from Freud. It all comes from Freud. Freud who rejected God himself and still had a need for some kind of ecstatic expression and turned to sexuality for it. If you don't find your ec ecstasy in God, you will find it somewhere else. Because you are made to have it. I'm telling you, this is why the Holy Spirit comes and he gives you ecstatic expressions. To feel and know that you are more than matter, you are more than chemical, you are more than molecules, you are spiritual and you are made to communicate in the spiritual realm with your Father in heaven. This is why people turn to New Age mysticism. This is why people become Wiccans. This is why people follow Buddha and these enlightenment theories which are, they claim to be enlightened and they are dark as night. Careful about this. And so he turned to sexuality, and his theories gave birth to the sexual revolution in this country in the 1960s. And now we have kids going to school saying, I feel like I'm not in my right gender. And teachers are telling them what you feel is right. Do, do, you, do you know what a person, what we call a person who, who doesn't do what they feel 
like doing is, do you know what we call these people? These people who don't listen to their feelings, they do what's right. Do you know what we call these people? We call them grown-ups. Yeah. And if you want something that's cool about Christianity, it is this, that God wants you to grow up. Stop being babies. Stop being children who whine and cry and follow their feelings because that's what babies do. I've had three babies. My, well, my wife had three babies, and I've raised them with her, and the, I, it would have been child abuse if I would have just said, well, you feel like that. That must be you. Today we call that education. And we're bearing the fruit of a generation that said, God, we're smarter than you. The greatest temptation you will ever face in your life is not to do drugs and not to commit adultery and not to kill yourself. The greatest temptation you will ever face in your life is to think you're smarter than God. Amen. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve listened to the serpent and became convinced, surely God does not know what he's talking about here. And God has a plan for his people. And he doesn't want that nonsense for you. I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't hate people who reject Christ and reject their gender or whatever that, whatever is going on. I feel bad for them. I, I couldn't imagine what it must be like to live like that. But here's what the thing is. The answer is not follow your feelings. The answer is get rooted in the fact of who Jesus Christ is. We want you to know him first and let him change you and through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. I can't convince you to do this stuff. I can't convince you mentally and, and, and philosophically. It's got to be a touch of God in your life. Here, and so I was, I was thinking about the feelings. Feelings are facts. Which one are you going to trust? Feelings are the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Feelings are fact for you. I was watching a TED Talk. It was a fantastic TED Talk. It was called Feelings Don't Exist. And what they said was mostly right. Even scripturally it was mostly right. Because what they said is you can't materially uh, identify a feeling. In other words, if you open up a person's brain, you can't look and say, oh, there's the feeling. <laughs> If you open their heart, you can say, oh, there's the feeling section right there. No, it's just blood and molecules. That's all it is. Feelings aren't a physical material reality. So what they've come up with is this philosophy that your feelings are your brain processing past information and anticipating a rehearsal of the past in your future. So a young gymnast who's molested by a brilliant but stupid doctor will enter into every physical or sexual relationship they're from with apprehension and fear and never fully open herself up to her husband. And then the anger comes out and we see it because that's what the past will do to you. The past will make you angry. The past will make you hostile. The past will make you uh, uh, obsess about the past and cause you to rehearse it in your future. And something needs to stop the madness. This is why the cross of Jesus stands historically in the past. 
It's not that they thought it up. It's not wishful thinking on behalf of his disciples. It happened. You can go to Jerusalem today and see where it happened. You can go to three graves in Jerusalem today that are all empty because there's hypotheses about which one was he in. I always say this, it's worth a good preach. Jesus rose from the grave so powerfully, he emptied three suckers. You can't find the bones of Jesus. No matter how hard the History Channel tries, they can't find the bones of Jesus. It happened. And what the gospel demands us do is root ourselves in God's history, not ours. That Jesus did come. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You ever wonder why Pontius Pilate's name is actually in the Apostles' Creed is because the Apostles and the Church Fathers wanted you to know this is historically verifiable. And it matters because your material and your history as well. And you've got to transmit from your history to Christ's history. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, linear time, he rose again. And it is good news for anybody who's got a troubled past. Because God in the cross shows he's a master craftsman of taking the garbage the devil throws at you and turning it into his ultimate good for you. Death to life. Darkness to light, grave to resurrection and power. In who? Jesus. So that I know what happened in my life or what might happen is not truly the end and not truly the determiner of what will happen. I got new life in Christ. Write this down in your notes. We need our minds rescued from the past. To be in Christ is to identify with his death, burial, resurrection. That's why we baptize you fully in water. We put you all the way under. We don't sprinkle. <laughs> Nothing against the sprinkling churches. We don't do a little dabble, do ya? Okay? Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't get dabbed with death. He embraced the whole thing. And he was put in that grave. And you put in the water. You're saying publicly, my old life is dead. Hallelujah. And you come up washed. The last time you came out of an enclosure totally wet it was when you were born. And now you're born again to new life in Jesus. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is talking about how we should think, but he's not just starting with Ephesians chapter 4. He if we back up in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, he's actually unpacked these historical realities that are rooted in, the Christ's, in Christ's work for us uh, for three chapters in Ephesians to point out this is how you got to think now. And they're powerful realities. I just want to give you the highlights. Can I give you the highlights? Here's what it says. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. He chose us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.7. He predestined us to be his children. He redeemed us through the blood of his son. He forgives all our sins. He gives us eternal inheritance. He offers us immeasurable power. He raised us from spiritual death to life. He made us alive with Christ. 
Ephesians 2.6, he prepared good works for us to do in advance. Ephesians 2.10, he makes us one with the covenant promise to Israel. He gives us access to himself in the spirit. He builds us up to be the dwelling place where he will dwell by his spirit. Those are powerful promises rooted in what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. And if you believe them, they're realities for you. You are not your past. You are not what people did to you. You are God's holy temple. Number two, if you're taking notes, my mind is made new in Christ. So it's made for God, but it's made new in Christ. This is, this is what he unpacks for us in verse 20. Is there on your notes? Verse 20, my mind, is made new in, my, my mind is made new in Christ. Verse 20, but that's not the way you learned of Christ. You, weren't, you, you, you came out of the darkness, into the light. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him. Okay, stop there. Assuming that you heard of him and were taught in him. Okay. Right, underline those passages right there, those words. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him. That's a two-pronged adventure in Jesus. Number one, you heard about him and number two, you were taught in him. A lot of Christians, a lot of people, not even, I wouldn't call them Christians. They hear about Jesus, but they don't get taught in Jesus. God's got a lot of things to say to you after you come to Christ. Do you know this? That's why you don't just put the hand up and say, okay, I'm done. I'll see you in heaven. You don't get through the baptism waters and say, okay, good. I did my Christian duty. I did my thing, my confirmation, my little deal there with Waters Church. I'll, I'll see you at the pearly gates, people. No. God's got a lot of things he wants to show you so that you live a healthy life here before you get up there. What did Jesus pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? Here. Christianity is not just about escaping, getting out of this mess. No, it's about being the channels through which heaven starts to invade earth. How? Through your life. Amen. A lot of people start with Jesus and they don't continue in Jesus. I call it Ivy League Christianity. Ivy League Christianity because every Ivy League institution in this country started with the principle that we are here to instruct people in the scriptures to teach them about Jesus. Every single Ivy League institution started this way. They are no longer this way. Their mottos, I just, to this day, this is their mottos. Brown University, in God we hope. Dartmouth, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's Matthew 3. Princeton, under God's power she flourishes. Columbia, in thy light we see the light. These are Christian references. Because these schools were started to teach Christians about Jesus and how to live smartly with him. Now they are far removed from that. What happened? They got too smart for God. I want to show you Harvard's seal. This is incredible. I found this out this week. Harvard's seal. There's an old seal and there's a new seal of Harvard. I'm not talking about the animal, oh, oh, seal. I'm talking about the little thing that they put next to their name. So let's put it up on the screen. I want you to show it. On the left is the old seal. That's on a building at Harvard right now. On the right is the new seal. Does anybody see the difference between the two? The bottom book, toss. On the left, it's face down. On the right, the newest modern seal, it's face up. Do you know why they did that? You know why they made that change? Because when Harvard started, they believed that there was knowledge man could apprehend, the two books on the top, but there was a secret knowledge only God could reveal through Christ. And that one was, you had to make a decision to come to Christ to get that knowledge. Then the scientific revolution happened and Harvard became too smart for God and so they flipped the book over. Have you flipped the book over in your life? To say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, you can do that. He allows it. 
He may, he, it happens naturally because we are born in sin, but I want you to know that God wants to show you how to truly live with knowledge. Number three, and finally, if you're taking notes. Oh, wait, old self. I'll just put this out there. Old self deteriorates and deceives. That's what Paul says. Old self deteriorates and deceives. That old self that goes into the waters. It's wasting away without Jesus. It's deceptive without Jesus. Do you know who lies to you more than anybody else in your life? You. Your old self is corrupt with deceitful desires, Paul says. You're the biggest liar you know. Happy Sunday, everybody. <laughs> you need third-party information from the, from the Father because he loves you and he wants what's good for you. Number three and finally, and then we got there finally. Okay, so number three. My mind made new leads to life brand new. If you want a healthy mind, I mean, if you want a healthy life, if you want a healthy year, if you want a brand new year, change how you think. How do you change how you think? Get into God's word. Get into God's family. Submit your heart and your mind to him and say, Father, I don't know what's best for me this year. You do. You love me. And so just to really sum, summarize a lot of passage there from verse 24 to 32 where he's talking about now how do we live? Like he says things like be angry but do not sin. What's he saying there? Think about this. Be angry but do not sin. In other words, don't let your feelings call the shots anymore. And then he says, like, don't let this thief steal any longer. But perform and do something with his hands so that he might share. Don't let feelings drive the bus anymore. He says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth. When does corrupting talk come out of your mouth? When you feel it. When you feel it. Don't let that call the shots anymore. Let Jesus change how you speak. Goes on and on and on for all those verses, all the way to verse 32. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Don't let old hurts and how they make you feel call the shots anymore. Christ forgave you. You've got to forgive others. In summary, the last thing I want you to write down in your notes, big summary, is that because of Jesus, we no longer live by what we feel, but by what God reveals. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you root yourself in what Jesus did for you, I'm telling you something, you'll think right. You'll know what you should do, and it will go well for you.